Well, when it comes to a bad day, I was reading somebody that said, you know, when it comes to, to having a bad day, you need to put it into perspective. Somebody said, you know, you're going to have a really bad day when you put on your pants, a pair of pants that you were wearing in the spring, and they don't rise above your knees. And so you know it's going to be a bad day. You've got a bad day when you go on the weight scale, and it goes all the way over to tilt, all right? That's not good news. But you know you're going to have a really bad day when you happen to be driving behind a biker gang or a group of hell's angels and your horn gets stuck. You know you get a really bad day. In fact, you're probably going to be feeling bad for a few months after that. But the good news is, is that Jesus says it's okay to have a bad day. In fact, Jesus said that if you've got tears if you've got mourning, if you've got difficulties in your life, it can be the gateway, the pathway to blessing. Now, we're on a series, an eight-week series called the, the Blessed Life. And we're looking at eight ways Jesus said that we can truly live the blessed or ideal life. And the first way we saw last week is Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the blessed life happens when you're poor in spirit, when you realize that the gifts of God come from his generosity. And it's something that we don't earn. It's something that we can never repay. He just gives it to us because he loves us. And when we get to the place where we're poor in spirit and we humble ourselves enough to receive it, then that is the foundation for a blessed life. But now we come to the second blessing or the second beatitude, and it is to mourn. In fact, I'd like to have it by way of the scripture, or way of the screen, Matthew 5, 4, and I would like us to read it together. These are the words of Jesus, the second pathway to blessing. And let's read it together, please. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, we look at that in our culture, and what's up with that? I mean, is Jesus saying the way to be happy is to be sad? That doesn't make a lot of sense. We think of mourning and we think tears. We think of sadness. We think of grief. We think of shattered dreams. And if that's part of the ingredients of the blessed life, according to Jesus, then most of us are like, count me out. Maybe if Jesus said something like this, the blessed life is when you keep calm and carry on. Or chin up and just keep moving forward, everything will be okay. Or as Bobby McFerrin said several few decades back, don't worry, be happy. Or if Jesus just said, take that frown and turn it upside down. All right, just smile and be happy and forget all of your troubles. That's a blessed life. And that's what our pop culture tells us. And you might be here this morning and you're kind of like, you know what, life's pretty good for me. Things are going pretty smooth, all the bills are paid and everything's going along pretty well. And, and, and if you're at that place today, I'm glad for you. But then there's others of you, you come in here this morning and your stomach's churning. You've got difficulties going on, could be some conflicts going on at home or with your family. Maybe you've got the news that you've been laid off. 
Maybe you've just had a fight with your spouse. Maybe the money isn't where it needs to be. Maybe there's grief that's coming into your life because of certain circumstances. But the good news is, is Jesus looked at you and he says, blessed are you who mourn for you will be comforted. And so what we want to do this morning is talk about the upside of being down, how mourning and grief and sorrow can be the pathway to blessing. And so let me give you the punchline this morning, that if you leave with anything, leave with this, that mourning is a blessing because it gives us the strength to let go of what we're not meant to hold on to. Mourning is a blessing because it gives us the strength to let go of things that we don't need to and to move forward in God's path. As the psalm says, weeping may come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. So if your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 11. We're going to be looking at Matthew 5 verse 4. But I want to illustrate the, what Jesus means by mourning from the story in John chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the scripture by way of the screen. And so let's go ahead and turn there as we look at the upside of being down. Now, as you're turning there, let me ask you this. Let's see how many Bible scholars that we have in the room this morning. Here's my question. What is the shortest verse in the Bible? Can anybody quote it? Whoa, you guys are awesome. Whoa. Whoa. You know, if you're starting to memorize your Bible, that's a great place to start, okay? You can get an early win. You know, John eleven thirty five. 35, I already know a verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Well, we go to that concept of Jesus mourning, Jesus weeping, and it's right here in the story that we're going to look at in John 11. And Jesus is towards the end of his ministry, and he's got a dear friend named Lazarus. And his sisters, Martha and Mary. And Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Bethany is this town that's south of Jerusalem. And it's a short trip that Jesus could have easily made. But he's been four days. And so he heads down there and he encounters Lazarus' sister, Martha. And so we pick up as Jesus is just outside of the village. And it's in verse 28. It says, after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. And when Jesus, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticing how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many of you have ever said that to God? God, if you would have done this, if you would have answered my prayer, God, if you would have met my expectations, my life, my situation, my circumstance, my loved one would not have come to such a painful ending. And some of us are just in that if only of regret. 
or right there with Mary. But her if only of regret is going to turn into the what if of possibility. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Whenever you look at the life of Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, and you look at the emotional state of Jesus, which is described the most of him as a human being, as a person, what is described over and over and repeatedly is that he was moved and he had compassion on people. He deeply felt for their circumstances, their situations, and their heartaches. And this is, no in, case, this is in no case different right here in, in John 11. In verse 34 it says, Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In verse 35, let's say it together. Jesus wept. Now, we look at this and we might struggle a little bit as, as guys in our culture because we're kind of raised up and we're taught real men don't cry, do they? And Jesus is crying here. We, we play, what game is it that you play that, that no crying is allowed? It's baseball, isn't it? And if a kid gets hurt, if he gets injured, or he gets a cut, or his whatever, uh, is he going to cry? No. He gets some dirt and rubs some dirt on it, okay? That's the first aid kit of real men, isn't it? And so we're kind of in that mode, men don't cry, but here's Jesus, a man's man, a leader of men, and he's weeping. The Greek word there is, for weeping is, is a word dereo, which is the only place it's used in the New Testament. And he's shedding some real tears, just not a couple of drops, but he's moved with compassion to such a, a visible degree that the Jews will look at Jesus and say, oh, how he loved him. How he loved him. Remember Jesus, he was carrying the cross. His back had been lacerated. He had been pummeled. He had been punched. He had the crown of thorns in his, in his, in his, in his brow, in his head. He had been humiliated. The average man would have just collapsed in death, but Jesus is on that road to the cross, and he's carrying that piece of wood. And these women are, who are professional mourners were coming alongside of Jesus and they were weeping to encourage him. And he looked at them and he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourself and for your children. And Jesus here is not weeping for himself. He's weeping for others. But it leads us to the first truth about mourning, and it's this. Mourning helps us to let go of the past. Weeping helps us to let go of the past. It's a process of letting go. The Bible is very clear that tears are a gift from God. It was King David who was a warrior king, a man of battle, fierce in strength and in skill, and a political leader of Israel in its heyday and its, in its, in its early start. And look what he said in Psalm 56, verse 8. He writes this, he says, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Isn't that a powerful idea? That God remembers every tear you've cried. 
and every emotion that is related to that. And he values that. And the evidence is, is that when we cry, it is physically healthy. It releases endorphins that stabilize our emotions. It brings us to a place where we release built-up toxins that lower our stress. It opens up communication. It is something that God has hardwired us so that we can do because it is healthy to weep. It is healthy to cry in particular circumstances. And the fact is, is that when we bottle in our emotions and we don't have a healthy release of them, they become like a pressure cooker. And when they become released, they become explosive and damaging. And they become released in ways, instead of being helpful, can, can be harmful. I have to be a little autobiographical here because as I'm thinking about this message, I, I have to admit that when it comes to my emotions, I'm not a person who cries very often. Sometimes I even wonder if I'm part Vulcan, you know. It just doesn't happen for me. And I, and I realize that I have emotions. When I go through hurt, I go through grief, I go through mourning, I feel it and I feel it deeply just as anybody else. But when it comes to dealing with them and processing, I, I tend to, to just analyze them. I need to get away and think and process and just give me my space, send me to my man cave. And, and so I don't really do it through, through weeping. But I'll have to admit there, there is one area of my life I... I do cry a lot, and I'm going to be man enough to admit it's watching movies. I mean, I can be pretty bad watching. In fact, a lot of people don't even want to go to the theater with me. It can be pretty embarrassing, you know? And, and, and I re- remember my kids were little, and we'd all be watching a movie, and I'm the dad, I'm the man, and, and I'm crying more than anybody in my family. And I'd be weeping, crying, whatever, over some scene in a movie, and the kids will look at Brenda. They're like, what's going on with Dad? Is he okay? It's just the movie. Then they'll look at me. I say, kids, stop looking at me. Watch the movie, okay? <laughs> and I mean, if you can get through Toy Story 3 and hold it together, I mean, you're a real man, okay? That moves me to tears. We all have emotions. And they come out different and some people, they, they express it in different ways and they mourn differently than others and that's okay. But the Bible respects that we go through weeping, we go through mourning, we go through grief. And the Bible tells us that when somebody does, we are to weep with those who weep. Do you know what that means? If somebody's going through mourning and grief and hardship and we weep with those who weep, we do two things. We give them our sorrow and we give them our silence. And we respect the process they're going through because as they're weeping, they're gaining the strength to let go of something that they don't need to hold on to anymore. And sometimes we become like a junior Holy Spirit and we short circuit the process for that person. Somebody's faced a big loss in their lives. And so we come like this junior deity and we say, oh, well, God must have a plan. You shouldn't feel so bad about that. Well, God does have a plan and it wasn't for you to be so rude. He does have a plan and it was for you to listen and to have sorrow and to have silence. Sometimes somebody's going through a loss or a struggle and 
We say things like, well, I know how you feel. Well, do you? Have you been in their body? Have you been in their mind? Have you been in their emotions? If you have, that's pretty weird. That's kind of creepy. You don't know how somebody feels because you are not them. And so the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep. Give them their space. Allow them to process that without having answers or telling them how they should feel. We go through grief. And somebody's faced a loss in their life. Somebody close. And it's been well stated that grief is the final act of love. And somebody's going through grief and it's going on for years, maybe even the rest of their life. And we say things like, well, they should get over it by now. But their grief is still the expression of a love and a closeness and attachment that is still deeply felt. And that mourning can continue on and on and on. And so we need to listen to the stories. We need to have them share the memories. We need to let them shed those tears once again, even though they've done it over and over and over. Because it's when we mourn that we gain the strength in order to keep letting go. And the mourning continues and there becomes more light and purpose as God moves us to a new light and a new normal out of the pathway of grief. Well, you look at the weeping of Jesus here, and, and I think there's some grief going on, but that's not the whole story because, as we're going to see, Jesus is able to come to the scene, and it's going to look totally different within 10 minutes. He's going to go to Lazarus. He's going to go in front of that tomb, and he's going to command Lazarus to rise from the dead and, you know, I'm like, if I were Jesus in this situation, I would look at his crying sisters and say, hey, guys, chill, I've got this. Just wait what's going to happen in 10 minutes. All right, cool out. I mean, this is going to be great. But he doesn't do that because of this. It leads us to the second truth. Morning helps us to embrace the future. Morning helps us to embrace the future. We pick up in verse 36. It says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept the man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And it was, it was, a, cave, it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 43 now. And Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. And his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, not because they mourn, not because they grieve, not because they hurt, but because of what's on the other side of the mourning. Jesus says, blessed are the more, those who mourn, not because the mourning is good in of itself, but because it opens a door and a pathway from the if-onlys to the what-if of possibilities. And there's two words when Jesus gives the beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. The word for mourn in the Greek is a word, pentos, or penthos, which is expression of the deepest sadness one can feel. It's like Lazarus, who is right in the depth of the tomb. 
It is where death, it is where hopelessness, it is where pain is felt and you don't feel that God is there and you feel like he's totally absent. And this morning can take that. But when you get to the word comfort, the word comfort of the Greek is parakaleo. I don't mean to get technical here, but it's so important. The word para there means to come alongside of. When you think of somebody who is a a paramedical professional or somebody who comes alongside someone who is hurting and they come in the midst of their pain and kaleo means to call out. And so Jesus comes in the midst of the pain and the darkness and the tomb and he comes and he pours mourning and he pours love. He identifies with the pain, but he doesn't stop there. He gives a call and he gives purpose and he gives strength and he gives renewed destiny. And mourning is so important because Jesus comes to us in our pain in order that he may give to us his strength. And it's in the process of mourning that we are able to find the strength to let go of that which we are not meant to hold on to anymore. It was this past Thursday I was visiting my dad. I try to visit him every couple of months. He lives in, in Saginaw. And uh, we enjoy hanging out, talking together. We're, we're both Irishmen. I come from an Irish family of Irish Catholics that go way back. And, and, uh, and one thing about my family, and Brenda can testify to this, is that when you're in an Irish family, that thing about keep calm, we don't understand that. And that makes no sense to us, okay? In fact, Brenda, when she was dating me and we would go visit my family, she almost wanted to put body armor on because you never know what was going to happen. So Dad and I are there, and, and we've softened up. I know the Lord, and he's come to know the Lord. But, but on Thursday, I was in a bit of a cranky mood, okay? If you ever get that way, I was just a little bit cranky. And then I'm with my dad. He's an Irishman, and then I've had about a half a pot of coffee, And that combination right there is pretty lethal, okay? And so Dad and I were hanging out, and and, and we're just, you know, father and son, and we're talking about all the problems of the world, and we're kind of griping and complaining and starting to make judgments, and we're going into kind of a foul, you know, attitude and stuff like that. And then we say goodnight and go to bed. And we weren't exactly that close to God, close to God at that point. Wake up in the morning, Dad typically gets up about 4 a.m., and I just happen to get up about 5 a.m., and I go to get some coffee. And there's my dad. He's sitting on the couch, and he's got his Bible right on his lap. He's reading, and he's talking to God, and God's talking to him. And he said to me, son, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, Dad, what, what is it? He said, uh, I've been with the Lord this morning. And he was telling me that some of the things I said last night and my attitudes that I expressed, uh, they were wrong. And and I don't want to do that. I don't want that to be a part of my life. Now, now that was good that he said that. But as he said that, I realized I'm busted too because I was kind of in the same boat as he was. And I look at my dad and he's there and he's being corrected by God. He's mourning over some things he did, some things he said. And I think about 30 years ago when I was a teenager and i just come to know the Lord and Christ was transforming my life. 
And I would go to my dad, and he didn't know Jesus at that time, and I would share to my dad about who Jesus is and what he's doing for me. And my dad would look at me, and he would say, Son, I'm a man of the real world, and I don't deal with this fairy tale religion stuff. And he says, On the day that I stand before God, I will be able to stand before him with my head held high, and I will have nothing to be ashamed of. My dad said, your religion, I don't need it. Your walk with God, I, I don't need that. But later on, my dad goes to the place in his life where he realizes he doesn't have it all figured out, where life doesn't totally make sense. Circumstances come into his life and realizes he's not quite up to the challenge. And so my dad becomes like the first beatitude, poor in spirit. And he humbles himself and he receives God's generosity of forgiveness and love as a gift into his life. And then he comes to the place of mourning. My dad was a good man. He was a great father. And by the standards of the world, he had nothing to be ashamed of. But as he was before a holy God, a God who has so much more for him, he began to mourn. He began to regret. He began to weep over things. And he was able to do that so that he could let go of the past to embrace a future that God had for him. And I look at my dad today, and he's faithful in his church. He goes to a nursing home, and he ministers to the older men. And he goes there, and he started four years ago with some people as they were handing out lunches in one of the most darkest, difficult, poorest, roughest places of Saginaw. And they began handing out lunches twice a week. And now that ministry has turned to where that group of people has built a whole community center where they are clothing and feeding the poor and sharing the gospel of Christ. And I'm thankful that my dad mourned because as he mourned his pride, he was able to reach forward to the future where he could be a vessel of God's power to bring change into the world. And folks, when we mourn, we do so because it gives us the strength to release what we're not meant to hold on to so we can press forward to the future. Well, let me bring this in for a landing, and let me give you a couple of ways that we mourn, ways that help us to let go and to embrace what's ahead. And the first thing by way of your notes, the first encouragement is this, is, is face the past. Face the past. When you mourn, face the past. Mourning gives you the strength to let go. And here is the fact, friends, Satan is the one who condemns because he wants us chained to the past. He wants us chained to our guilt. But God is the one who convicts because he wants us to release our guilt, to let it go and to take hold of the future. The victorious Christian life is not a sinless life, but it's a life of repentance where when God brings the realization of sin in our life, we mourn it, we let it go, so we can press toward what he has. This repentance and mourning is more than an apology. It's more than saying, I'm sorry for a mistake I made. It is more than that as a confession that there's a deeper problem in my life called sin that I can't fix. And I need to go before God and receive his help and grace in order to do that. And it's a confession that we make and we go before God and in his kindness and his love for us, he leads us 
to let go of our past, to embrace the present. So for some of us, we're made to be generous, but we find in our lives this kind of selfish greed. And so we mourn that and we say, God, I don't want that in my life. I'm letting it go. I'm grieving of the people I've not helped. I'm grieving of the people I've not given to. I'm grieving because I've been so selfish in my time. I am grieving because I've not been the generous person. And as we grieve it, we let it go so that we can embrace the generosity to which we're called to. God has given us sexuality as something to treasure and to bring life and love. But humanity has trashed it. And in those cases where we have done that, whether in thought or in deed, we go before God and say, God, I grieve that. Purify my mind. Give me a new vision and heart of what beauty is meant to be, of what love is to stand for, and what my life is to be about. We are wired to worship God, but instead we worship material things. And we adore things that really deplete our resources and deplenish our emotional energies. They overfeed us, but we're under, we're under, we don't have health from them. And so we go before God and we grieve and we mourn. And folks, when we talk about sin, it's not because we want people to feel guilty or to be bound by a guilt trip, but rather we want to get to the problem so that they can release and have the forgiveness that's offered in Christ and to look forward into what God has called them to do. Secondly, embrace the future. Embrace the future. When we grieve and we mourn, it allows us to stop rereading the failed chapters of our life. It allows us to stop rereading the failures and the sins and the issues and to go back to the old things that are keeping us bound. And it allows God to move us forward into a new chapter and to open up new possibilities. For example, there might be a chapter in your life where you felt you've lost everything. Life hits you hard finances, maybe somebody cheated you, whatever it is, and you were at that place of such loss and you felt it was a dead-end chapter, but Jesus came into your life and he says, if you have me, you have all that matters. And everything that you need for a valuable life I have kept and we can rebuild from there. And you learn the beatitude, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Maybe in that chapter you've lost a loved one. You think there's no hope beyond this loss. I can't find any meaning. I can't find any light. But Jesus comes to you in your broken heart and he comforts you and he walks with you and he says, keep taking one step in front of the other. And you realize that your life still has value. It still has meaning and still has purpose. And you realize the beatitude, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. You're in a chapter in your life and you felt run over, you felt beat up. You felt that people have disrespected you. You felt like nobody understood you and your self-esteem and your value is diminished and Jesus has come in the pit, in the cave of those circumstances 
and he's come into your life and he's given you this unconditional love and you have found this strength and this hope to stand up on your own feet and to have purpose even when other people don't see it and you learn the beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You're at that place in your life you thought you knew it all. You thought that your snap judgments and your opinions about everything were so clear and that if everybody could see the world in the way you did, this world would be a better place. You were often wrong, but you were never in doubt. And Jesus came to your life and he made you teachable. He gave you grace. And you began to see there's a whole other way of viewing the world through his word and through his truth. And you understood, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You're at a place where you're filled with anger towards somebody. And you wanted to take revenge, and you did it. You got back at the person who hurt you, but in the process of getting back with him, you realized that you were becoming the person just like the person that you hated. In getting revenge, you became like the person who so hurt you, and your life became more miserable. And Jesus came into your life in that chapter, and he gave you forgiveness. He gave you unconditional love, and he allowed you to take that person off of your hook and put them onto his hook. And you realize the truth, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You and your relationships had followed carnality. And sexuality just became simply something to satisfy your own cravings. But the more you did it, the more you became addicted to it, and the more you became empty, and the more you became less of a man or a woman, and Jesus came into your life, and he forgave you, and he showed you a new vision of what love and beauty is, and you realize the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When it came to your faith, you hid You didn't want people to really know you were a Christian. You didn't want people to really know what you stood for and you were believed. And so you were ashamed. But Jesus came to you and he loved you and he forgave you. And he told you that your life is just not to fit in, but to stand out. And you've learned to take a stand for what you know to be true, according to God's word. And you realize the truth of the final beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. I want to put a quote from John Piper by way of the screen. And John Piper writes this when it comes to weeping and mourning. He says, occasionally, weep deeply over the life you hoped would be. Grieve the losses, then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life you have. And the good news about mourning is that it gives us the strength to let go, and we realize that it's not too late to begin the life that God intended. Amen? Let's stand, let's rise as we worship and as we sing. the gospel of Christ is that God so loved the world and its brokenness 
in its mourning and its pain. He sent Jesus into the world. He loved us perfectly. He was sinless. But he went to the cross. And there he bore our sins. What you and I should bear for eternity, he took in his body. And then on the third day, he went into the tomb. And he buried our sins and he rose victorious. And he ascended to the Father and he is praying for each one of you that you will be in a relationship with him. And if anybody will call to his name, in the midst of their mourning, in the midst of their hurting, he will come to them and he will give them life. He just simply says, look to me. Believe in me. Ask for the gift of salvation. And I will give it to you. Maybe you're in mourning this weeping, pain, difficulty, whatever it may be. Jesus is there to identify with you and to raise you out of that pit, raise you out of that tomb, and to call new strength into your life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are so good to us, so generous and loving. And Father, this morning there might be some here who their life has been filled with tears. Maybe it's not always expressed in their eyes and the water that flows, but maybe from a heart that's broken. Maybe it's from a sin that has been committed that's caused regret. Maybe it's from a relationship that is falling apart that they just don't know how to put back together. Whatever the case is, when we mourn and we look to you and you come into our lives, you give us comfort because you call us to a new hope and a new destiny.